0: Welcome to Church Ahead, the weekly Christian podcast talking about big questions facing the future of church with Rev L. All the way from the north of England. Episode 13 is the third of three sessions trying to define church decline. This one is called Influence What's the most important part of a church building? altar, pulpit, creche, coffee hatch, font or sound desk. The part I would vote for is, I think, often overlooked. For me, it's got to be the doorway, the place where people come in and the place where people go out. In an Italian church, that probably means lovely columns up the side and swirly saints and scrolls above. In inner city Manchester, It might be an industrial security door. Either way, this is the threshold between the gathered church and the big wide world outside. If you were a flooring contractor, you would probably say that this was an area of heavy traffic, as lots of people come and go. When I was a curate, when I finished a communion service, I would get the congregation to turn their bodies round, to face the doorway, and to say these words together as pretty much the last prayer. Which happens to be the first prayer I've said on Church Ahead. Are you ready for it? Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your Spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. Not many Christians think Christianity is just for church. We like to think of ourselves as God's agents to change the world for the better. We don't like to think the words we say in church only apply to people in church. We like to think that those words are for everyone. And when I said that prayer, The picture in my mind was of God going out with his people through that door, out into the wider world to serve the world and to influence the world in all sorts of ways, including what people think. There was a time when the church didn't have to work very hard to influence the wider world, certainly not intellectually. What the church thought, everyone thought, and what the church believed was what everyone believed, more or less. Apart from a few oddballs, the powerful people, like kings and queens, and the clever people, like university scholars, pretty much expressed the same views about the big issues of life as the church's clergy and Christian theologians. And where they felt unsure about what the church taught, even the biggest winks kept their doubts to themselves. European society was Christian, and Christianity provided the software that ran the public mind. Church-shaped what you believed about God, of course, but also what you thought a human being was, what you knew about the world, about science, about health, about money, marriage, the history of your country, the age of the earth. How did the world begin? How will it end? What would you expect to find if you could go above the clouds? What will happen to you after your death? Church gave you the the right view on all of those things. And when you slept, your dreams of angels in heaven and your nightmares of the devil and the flames of hell, it shaped your conscious mind and your unconscious world too. But somewhere along the way, most of the big Christian beliefs have lost their hold on people. Hell lost its scare factor. Heaven, its credibility. The devil became a figure of fun. The Bible, a source of dogmatism rather than authority. And God, well, not really an almighty God anymore. Atheism is a word that would have meant nothing to most Europeans until the 18th century. But it's pretty popular today. And those of us who are theists are more likely to see God as a life spirit force than the traditional personal transcendent God of the Bible. Christianity has gone from the norm to a nutty eccentricity on the margins of society. When Isaac Newton did his experiments at Cambridge University, all the clever people in university posts were Christians. Hardly any of our public intellectuals in the 21st century are people of sincere Christian belief. There are still some, but publishing and media are dominated by celebrity atheists, agnostics, humanists. Christian thinkers are rarely given airtime or publicity. And I don't think it's because there's some conspiracy against clever Christians. It's just because most clever people today aren't Christians anymore. Someone like, take for instance the scholar Tom Holland is about as good as it gets. His 2019 book, Dominion, whizzes through the history of Christianity, pointing out how so many of the good things about the modern world come from Christianity, even without people realising it. For example, human rights were first thrashed out by canon law scholars. The notion of human dignity, which would have sounded weird to the Romans, comes from the claim humanity is made in the image of God. He's an intellectual enthusiast about Christianity. But is he a church-going Christian? Hmm. He's no hypocrite. He admits freely, if only I could believe it enough to commit. But top-flight intellectuals, who are themselves committed Christians, willing to put their heads above the parapet, not many of them. What about powerful people in government? In the United States, presidents were either pious Christians or at least felt they had to pretend to be right up to this present century. What about British prime ministers? Tony Blair and Theresa May are the most obviously and conspicuously Christian political leaders of my lifetime. But the general drift has been towards people who have less time for church. Look at the top jobs in the United Kingdom and the US today. I'm speaking in the summer of 2022. Boris Johnson is Britain's first baptised Catholic to hold the top job in British politics. But getting married three times doesn't suggest an unquestioning faith in the teaching of his church. Joe Biden is America's second Catholic president. He goes to Mass, but he openly opposes the church's teaching on abortion. And the politicians, to be fair to them, look a relatively godly bunch when you look at the influential celebrities who dominate mass media. In pop music, fashion, TV, sport, it's a bit like the universities. Yes, there are Christians, but they're often considered a freak minority. Not many visitors from Mars would spend a day tuning in to the British airwaves and say, yes, that's a Christian country. There is one wonderful exception. I feel at this point I should stand up and bow, and you women should curtsy. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. For 70 years, this deeply Christian woman has reigned over this country as a Christian. When I was a rather Republican teenager, I resented her privilege and her lack of in-your-face evangelism. If she's supposed to be the head of the church, why doesn't she use her power to convert people? I would have protested. But I've come to see that she does promote her faith. She does it with subtlety and tact. Her quiet presence in the life of this country is a massive force for good, and it's a thoroughly Christian influence. Typically, her Christmas Day broadcast will say something about what's going on in her family and the world at large, and it will say something about God. Quite simply, she is the most important Christian leader of my country in my lifetime. When Anglicans feel under pressure to justify their state privilege, they say, well, she's only the head of the church in a symbolic way. Well, in my book, she's the head of the Church of England, all right, but not just the Church of England. I think the Queen is the matriarch and spiritual mother of the nation. The only problem is, no matter how many times we sing our national anthem, long to reign over us, and no matter how many times we pray for her in church and for her good health, she is not going to live forever. She's a very old lady, and she's coming to the end of her reign. And what next? When Prince Charles becomes our king, there will be a very different spiritual signal coming from the head of state. He's not anti-church, but he's made it quite clear that he will not be a defender of the Christian faith, but a defender of faith in general. Okay, in an understated way, the Queen has already done that. Always taken a generous and inclusive view of faith trying to embrace other faiths, but she's done so as a Christian, as someone with an emphatic faith of her own. In some ways, the multi-faith coronation we expect for Prince Charles will be a realistic expression of the diversity of modern Britain. Charles will not pretend to be a traditional Christian. What if the crown passes over Charles's head to the Queen's grandson, William? I watched William's wonderful wedding from the bar of a Greek island tavern. The quality of the picture was not brilliant, but it was good enough to notice something that stood out to me as a small detail of real symbolic significance. During the sermon preached by Richard Chargers, Bishop of London, the camera panned onto William's bride, Kate, And what did we see whilst the bishop was preaching? She was giggling and chatting away to her friends. Yes, you've got to cut her some slack for having survived a stressful public performance. But could you imagine the Queen doing that? I can't. And it's not just because the Queen was married in a more deferential age. It's because the church was at the heart of her life. And she took the church seriously. Now I have nothing against Kate, I think she's shaping up as a fine future Queen, but she won't be a consciously Christian, church-centred monarch like Queen Elizabeth II. There are all sorts of Christian traditions and customs that survive in this country largely because no one wants to upset the Queen by trashing them while she's still around. But when she's gone, then what? Church Ahead doesn't have a crystal ball to see the future. I try to tell it as it is. Description, not prophecy, is our vocation here. But I will put my neck out and make you one prediction. The Queen will not live for many more years, and when she dies there will be a noticeable step change in the life of this country in all sorts of ways, little and large the Christian faith will be actively edited out and left behind. A lot of big people will feel they don't longer have to pretend to be Christian. The end of this Queen will mark an important milestone in this country, no longer defining itself as Christian. So we're trying to set out what church decline is today, and we're talking about influence. We've looked at clever people and powerful people to see how Christianity has less influence today. Let's finish by looking at the big social changes affecting the church and the world and let's ask who influences who. Church has always had a big vision for society. As I said, very few Christians think that church is just for people who go to church. Church has always wanted to shape the world and mould the wider world to its values. The world pulls back in the other direction, shaping the church in its own way. So let's consider that tussle. Let's go back to the anti-slavery movement within the establishment of the British Empire in the 18th century. It began as an enthusiasm amongst prominent middle-class churchmen in south-west London. Henry Venn, Henry Thornton, William Wilberforce started to organise around Holy Trinity Church Clapham against what they saw as an injustice. There were a number of issues but the most famous was slavery which was a big part of their economy, probably as much as oil is today. But their Christian faith sent them looking for injustice And it wasn't hard to find it in slavery. So they started a campaign in their homes and their church. It gathered momentum, won the day in Parliament, and the British Empire became the first trading nation to abolish slave trading and slave ownership. To make the British Empire stop doing something that made money, now that's influence. And the direction of that influence was from the church. That was the church... Influencing the world. The church took the lead, the church said, This is wrong, and then the world came round. Now come with me to Montgomery, Alabama, in 1955. A black seamstress, Rosa Parks, refusing to move from her seat on a segregated bus, prompted a protest strike against the local bus company. That was the point at which Dr. Martin Luther King, church pastor, was asked to support the campaign which he did with the organised support of his church. There were other groups involved, but this church minister and church infrastructure were an important part of this successful movement for social change. Again, the church was an important part of the momentum for change, though we have to say that the church was also on the other side and was also part of the opposition. So I'm not saying that church is always right, But as recently as the 1950s and 1960s, church was influencing American society and shaping American minds. Compare these movements to the global movements of social protest we've seen in recent years. Look at the Occupy movement in the financial crisis protesting against capitalism, surrounding St Paul's Cathedral in London with a tent occupation quite cleverly making people question the cathedral's role in the money-making machine of the Financial District of London. Now the world is coming to challenge the church. The church is no longer in the driving seat. Here the church is not telling people to give their money to the poor. It's trying to explain its own wealth and its own cosy relationship with big money. Next look at the global hashtag MeToo movement challenging male behaviour towards women in the workplace and elsewhere. That galvanised a lot of young women. It led to difficult conversations in all kinds of organisations, including churches, where women felt they were not well treated. Church had to respond, but they didn't really take the initiative. And then the biggest global movement of all, Black Lives Matter, campaigning about race and all sorts of social issues. Again, churches had to respond and to review their practices in a whole range of things. I suppose many Christians were involved with Occupy, with Me Too and BLM, and some churches have supported them. But my sense of it is that energy for big social change no longer comes from church. Church, just like every other institution, has to play catch-up and respond but church is no longer the catalyst. Church still has some influence but not to put crowds on the streets or to get everyone talking about what's right or to change the world quickly. The direction of influence is from the world to the church and of course that's not always a bad thing like most Christians. I would say that if another group of people can teach me how to behave better, then I'm happy to learn. It's just that the traffic always seems to be one way. When does the church ever influence anything anymore? I'm not sure whether I would like to see the church influencing the world more. When I see the church trying to throw its weight around, it's usually pretty embarrassing. So church used to influence everything and everyone. But it's not much of an exaggeration to say that church today influences nothing and no one. It doesn't influence the world very much. These days, influence is much more likely to come the other way. The world shapes the church and tells the church what to think and what to do. And that's what I mean by church decline. Numbers down, power gone. Influenced rather than influential. In terms of what people think, the church used to make the weather. Now it holds up a battered umbrella to try and keep out the rain. Back to the church door that we began with today. The threshold for entrance and exit. More people are leaving than coming in. And in terms of influence... Things are going the other way. Not much influence is flowing out, but plenty of influence is flowing in. The church was once a powerful force shaping the world. Now it's blown around by the influence of the world. Sometimes that's a good thing, but overall, that's what I call church decline. Thank you for listening to episode 13. We've had, in recent weeks, three analogies of church decline, followed by three definitions. Next time, we're going to have our first case study of church decline, the very dark subject of abuse.